Seeking the Extraordinary is sponsored by The Colony Group, a national wealth and business management company that seeks the extraordinary by pursuing an unrelenting mission of providing clients with peace of mind and empowering their visions of tomorrow. To learn more about how The Colony Group manages beyond money, visit thecolonygroup.com. Welcome, fellow seekers of the extraordinary. Welcome to our shared quest. A quest not for a thing, but for an idea. A quest not for a place, but into the inner, unexplored regions of ourselves. A quest to understand how we can achieve our fullest potential by learning from others who have done or are doing exactly that. May we always have the courage and wisdom to learn from those who have something to teach. Join me now in Seeking the Extraordinary. I'm Michael Nathanson, your Chief Seeker of the Extraordinary. Until today, our show has featured two guests at the same time only once before. And those two guests were the dynamic duo of Olympic gold medal speed skaters Bonnie Blair and Dan Jansen. Today, however, we have our second dynamic duo of sorts, though they prefer to think of themselves not as a dynamic duo, but as the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers of diversity and inclusion. She has more than 25 years of experience working with corporate, nonprofit, union, non-union, and government entities, helping them create and sustain environments where all people can be and do their best. With a client list that reads like a veritable who's who of leading organizations, she is renowned as an instructional designer and master facilitator, covering a wide array of topics, including leadership, diversity and inclusion, unconscious bias, multiculturalism, harassment and discrimination, employment laws, team building, communications, career and life coaching, and performance management, and giving performance feedback across lines of difference. She also serves as a mediator and collaborator for leveraging conflict for synergistic outcomes that honor all stakeholders. A graduate of Loyola University, Chicago, where she received a BS in psychology, she holds MBTI, social style, and professional career coaching certifications, among others. She's highly active in her community, working with the E program for high school students, as well as Project Equality, where she is a passport member. He is a service-disabled veteran who now serves as a dedicated and passionate diversity and inclusion consultant, trainer, facilitator, and mentor. He's a self-described lifelong learner in the areas of diversity, inclusion, leadership, and culture, with a passion for helping people and organizations learn and grow to become higher performing. For his highly impressive list of clients, he provides DNI expertise and strategy, in content development, pro-social behavioral research, marketing, assessment, training and facilitation, and veteran transition mentoring. In his own words, he believes that by raising up others, you rise as well. This same mindset motivates him to volunteer to help others. And when he's not engaged in DNI and volunteer work, he enjoys social media. He has a substantial following on Twitter and is a prolific tweeter. Please welcome the extraordinary Gloria Cotton and Greg Jenkins. Welcome, Glow and Greg. Wow, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Michael. 
Thank you, Michael. That was uh, quite an introduction. So well, glad to be just, here with you. So great to have you. Before we get started, I should I should uh, disclose to our audience that we do work with with the two of you. That's how I got to know you. Mm-hmm. Uh, my company works with the two of you, and we've been working together now for some time. And I really enjoyed getting to know both of you. And I did my best to give you each a basic introduction, but I think our audience would benefit from just a bit more background. So why don't you each just take 60 seconds to give us a little bit more information about yourselves as you see fit. Greg, you want to go first? Yeah, Glow, why don't you go uh, first? Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I, I, I am getting into answering another question right now uh, about why I do this work. And I think we are just at such a time in the existence of the planet and of the human race upon it, that we really have to look at what can we do to connect with, to respect, to have empathy for ourselves and each other. And that's why I love to do this work. So that's a little bit about me, psychology, education, human resources, organizational development. My blood type is A positive. I love working with this man right here. Greg, (laughs) Greg, please tell him more about you. Thank you so much, Glow. I think, yeah, there's a, there's a why question here, right? And so after 28 plus years in the United States Army and having lived and worked in various places, always on a diverse team and, and having experienced both good, healthy leadership and not so good, healthy leadership. When I had the opportunity to go into this line of work, which I initially resisted, but then found out the, the tremendous value of, of what diversity, equity, and inclusion can provide. And it really ignited in me a passion that I've been working on ever since 2005. And, and I've had the extraordinary luck, fortune to, to have met Gloria Cotton. And, and it's been a, it's a fantastic ride ever since. And, it, and, we're, and we're continuing on, so... We are. Yes, we are. <laughs> well, and I've certainly seen the two of you uh, do your work together and I guess dance the dance together. But <laughs> I'd like you to, uh, to why don't, uh, Glow, why don't you tell us where did the whole Fred and Ginger thing come from? Well, I tell, I will tell you, it was so, it was so, we agreed on it almost the same time it came out of our mouths. So when we're together, as you say, it is really like dancing. Sometimes one of us takes the lead and sometimes, and the other is supporting them while sometimes it, it switches. But it is that it's always something that connects with the public. And that's what I think was so wonderful about Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. They made it look easy and it is not, and we know it's not, but they've connected with each other and with the audience. If you were watching on the big screen or the small screen. And so after a comp- one time that was very difficult, I'll say, with, uh, with a client, which was really exciting because it was challenging for us, we looked at one another and we said, I said, hello, Fred. And he said, hello, Ginger. And that <laughs> stuck. That's been like, I think, 2011 or 12 that happened. So we've been dancing together for a long time. Yeah, I, I find it disarming a bit, which, which uh, in, in a very good way, because it's, it's a, obviously a very important and serious topic and mm-hmm. uh, it becomes extremely emotional for many people as we talk about it. I'm sure you've experienced that. And do you think about that as well, that maybe it's also a way to, to, to just uh, get people a little bit more comfortable? That's a good question, Michael. And I think absolutely. I, I think for some of our audience members, they may not have seen two people who optically appear different, work together so well. 
And, and I think, and you use the word disarm, and I think that's a, that's a pretty, an apropos explanation, because it does, it does disarm. It's like, oh, wait, this is, this is a, an experience that I thought was going to be maybe uncomfortable or, or less, you know, enjoyable. And here's these two people who look very, very different from one another, and yet they are leading us, facilitating us in a conversation that it's exciting to have. And I, I think the, the Fred and Ginger moniker, although I, I, we get it, it's a little dated. So maybe for some younger folks, they don't know who those two people are, but it's it's what we've been using and doing and uh, it's been working pretty well. Everyone should know who Fred and Ginger is, <laughs> in, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. So so let's move forward and, and start talking uh, about what it is that you love to talk about and what you have such great expertise in. So you both just talked a little bit about the why. And, uh, and I want to come back to that. And I want to give each of you an opportunity to speak to that. And I'm a big fan of, of Simon Sinek. And uh, if, you've, if, you followed, if you followed Simon Sinek, that one of the things that made him so well known was his concept of starting with why. Yes. And noting that many people don't, they start with the what or even the how, and that we all need to think more about our why. Mm-hmm. So for each of you, Briefly, what is your why? My why is, uh, first of all, I, was, I had the privilege of being born into a family that the, one of the main messages was love. And if you met a stranger for the first time living with my grandparents the first six years of my life, strangers were just people you hadn't seen uh, in a long time but that you were always connected with. So I grew up with that. And we had different races and ethnicities in my family, different, just a lot of what we now call diversity difference. And so when I first became aware of not only misunderstanding, but not only disliking, but hatred between people because of difference in something, difference in religion, difference in political beliefs, difference in race and size and education, whatever. I asked myself that question, why? Why does this happen? How can this happen when I know that really, if we allow ourselves to look at one another and go on what I call a treasure hunt for the compliments that we have and, and that we need between us so we can all do our best I didn't understand why people would allow something that I considered exciting to come between us. So I started asking that question of why, and I found that leaders weren't asking why. As you said, they would go from the what to the now what, which is a great question. But you have to understand the history of it, or else you'll uh, continue to repeat the dysfunction of it. So that's, that's why I ask people to understand the why and why that is such a difficult question for many to be honest about. And so let's unpack that. Let's get to know those things that push our, our hot buttons. I, I'm uncomfortable. This feels unsafe. All of those buttons just let you know that it's safe for us to talk about the scary stuff. It's safe for us to talk about it. Here's what we are doing collectively, Greg and I, in working with one another, but role modeling how you do it with each other. And then let's not be afraid to do it. Then that impacts everything. That's, that's, what the, that's why why is so important and why I've never been afraid to ask it. Greg? Yeah, thanks, Glo. As I as I'm listening to you, I'm I'm thinking back to when I joined the, the army initially in, in the early 1980s. I'm, I'm dating myself, obviously, there. 
<laughs> and and I came from a very very it was it was the the great white north. It was Upper Michigan, and everybody that I grew up with and, and lived around looked just like me. Mm-hmm. And uh, although I understood there's movies and TVs and magazines and, and books, and there's I know there's different people in the world, but where I grew up, it uh, was very homogeneous. And so to, joining the military, it was it was. Uh, it was it was a brand new experience where i'm i'm put on these very very diverse teams and and i was almost immediately fascinated even in those in those early years of how well you could take a bunch of different people put them on a team give them a mission provide them with with good leadership who understood the value of of a human being and then get those human beings collectively to go to point B or, or take the hill or, or whatever the, the objective was. And, and I was just, I, I was fascinated at the whole 28 plus years, whether that was in combat or peacetime or, or overseas somewhere or, or in the U.S. And it was just, it was such a great feeling for me to be included. I, and it just, it's just that basic to be valued on a team to know that I could depend on the person to the left of me or to the right of me, and, and that I had a role, I had a place, I had a value, I was welcomed, I was respected. If, if something was happening to me, you know, maybe personally or professionally where I needed some help, I would be heard by, by my leadership. And having experienced that kind of, of life and having then been invited by the United States Army to go learn more about it and then teach other people about it, oh, what a gift that was. And, uh, and so that's why it's, it's, it's great to, to we're going to spend a third of our lives at work. So I would hope, at least personally, that if I have to spend a third of my life with, with this group here, that it would be a good experience. So that's why I do what I do, because I want to help communicate or show or or teach those folks that are trying to build those better teams, better organizations, more inclusive. Thank you both. Great answers. I find inspiration just listening to the two of you talk about this topic constantly. So let's get back to uh, to the Simon Sinek rubric. So since we talked about the why, why don't we now also hear you talk about the the how and the what that you do. So again, I think this is one where it's probably appropriate for both of you to jump in with your, what's, what, so how do you do it and what do you do? So I've been doing this work for about 30 years actually and getting paid for it. I say getting paid for it because I, I, I know I came to the planet, as I said before, with that privilege of being born into the family I was, but also in, in, I brought with me that we are all one. We are all one race, one human race. And why can't we just get along before Rodney King said it? I wanted to know. So I understand that there's a lot of confusion. I understand that intellectually. I understand it emotionally and mentally, psychologically. And so when we're doing our work, it's important that we, and I I will say I, but this is what we do with Greg Jenkins Consulting. We look at the full history in a respectful way, we talk about, first of all, priming people with positivity and saying, this is why some of the things are difficult, why you're experiencing, why your life has been what it's been. Let's honor and respect that. Let's not deny it for you or anyone else. We're looking at the truth of your existence. Now, where do we want to go? And we do that in a respectful way by showing those parallels, by showing people it's human to have bias how are you using that so we don't 
say stupid stuff. And I, I rarely use that word, but stupid stuff like, I'm going to teach you not to not make assumptions. What? What part of my brain are you going to cut out that I don't do that? So understanding the intention of bias, of why assumptions happen, and then helping people understand the how of what do you need to do so no one is victimized by those things that come so easily for you? What can you do and how do you do it? Because it's easy for people to say, this is what you do, but then there's no how to it. So people go away and try to figure out on their own. Well, we've already been working with this for a while. So we know not only studies and that sort of thing, but how do you have conversations with people so they understand their brand of what they need, which might be different from what you saw in a documentary. So it really is normalizing the need as human beings to all be heard, to all be valued, to all be respected. And even when people say they don't have it, it's because they believe they won't get it. It's not that they don't want or need it. So that is some of the how that we do our job and what we do in order to get it done. Thank you. What would you add, Greg? I, and to add to that, this is really uh, the same answer and just the, from the different ways that we look at it and, and, uh, and just adding to what Glow has just shared. As I had said in the, at the beginning of our, our conversation here, even though I did this 28 years, whatever, in, in the Army, and when I got invited to, to go into the space initially, I didn't want to do any of that. And, and, I th- and the reason why is, is, well, isn't diversity and equity and inclusion, aren't these programs for women and minorities? Why, why am I going to be put in this position to, to learn this stuff and then go teach it? I must, have, I must have made somebody angry and I'm being punished. That was my perception then. And, and I, looking back now, and I've, and I've thought about this over the years as I've been doing this, it, it wasn't that that I was opposed to that. I was afraid. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to say it. I had never, even though I had been in these, in these diverse teams in the military, now I had to go into and have deep conversations or deeper conversations about sexism and racism and bias and discrimination and power and privilege. And those are pretty heavy duty topics. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't prepared to have those kinds of conversations But I learned how to have those kinds of conversations. So the how, specifically to your question, Michael, is what we work on, I work on, Glow works on, we work on together, is that when we're working with a client or a group, or whether it's two people or 200, it's it's starting to develop the kinds of psychological safety where we can begin to feel safe enough to at least open up to hear some information to be able to express some concerns or some innocent ignorance of on our on our part that maybe we don't understand something and as we can build that psychologically safe container if you will the kinds of conversations that come out of those are miraculous in in many cases personally i've had many of them and and we try to bring that kind of safety if you will to get those kinds of conversations going so we can bring down the barriers that separate separate us and find out that we're we're a lot alike and we we all have a lot of the same hopes and fears that that people who don't look very that look very different from us also have as well so yeah that's 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 one of the ways in how we do what we do sure your 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 answer 
reminds me of the fact that this is a podcast and I can see you, but our listeners cannot. And you were just questioning your standing. So Greg, am I correct that you identify as a, as a white male service disabled veteran? Is that how yes. you would identify yourself? Yeah. Yes. And, and, and Glow? I, I self-identify as a black African-American woman. Okay. I appreciate your, you say black African-American I've had conversations with some of my colleagues of color who have said some have preferences for black, some for African-American. It's interesting you say both. Mm -hmm. And I say both. I used to just say, first of all, I have been like four or five different things that people referring to my race. And what's on my, Greg sometimes says, what's on my birth certificate is not going to be what's on my death certificate. On my birth certificate for my races and for Negroes, see, there's nowhere on the census anymore. You won't see that in a class anymore. And so it's been many things that it's gone through. I've told people, whatever it is I self-identify with, me and you get to know me first. But I have friends that were born on the continent of Africa who are not Black. Mm-hmm. And they have the one gentleman from Egypt said, I'm African-American too. And I started thinking about that. And so then I started saying them together. I'm black African-American. But that's that's my race identification. That's not my ethnic, uh, which is much, much more identification. Yeah. Interesting. Well, thank you for that. Sure. One of the questions that I had was, I, you know, I was looking at some of your materials and, and thinking about the language that that we have been using at our company regarding this journey that we're on. And, and we were calling it diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I've noticed that, I'm not sure if this is intentional or not, but I've seen you fairly consistently call it diversity and inclusion. What's the difference? Well, that's a great question, Michael. And I, I think when you, when you see different organizations that use different acronyms, I, I think what you're, what you're witnessing or, or you're, you're being allowed to, to look into is, is how, how that culture is best communicating that to their people. So for some folks, it is just diversity and inclusion. For some, it's diversity, equity, and inclusion. Some of it's, it's justice, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Sometimes you'll see diversity, equity, inclusion, and access or, or variations of those words. And, and I think based on my experience, it's, they're, they're, I think they're all speaking to the same goal. It's just in the way that that organization, that culture, the feedback from the people within the organization are trying to try to propel this effort. Those are the words that mean more to them in that particular setting. Very quickly, when I was at the Pentagon and I was on the Army diversity team, and every one of the five branches. So we at that time, it was Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, and Coast Guard. And interestingly enough there, they had five different definitions of diversity and five different definitions of inclusion uh, for that specific reason that I just mentioned. For that culture, for that specific armed services branch, those definitions and the way that they branded and marketed the value of diversity equity or inclusion was done in a way that spoke to their organization best. Interesting. So I'm going to, I'll probably ask you, Greg, on this one. Next question I wanted to ask about is we, we spent some time talking about bias and, and you were good enough to, to recommend you and glow recommended a book for us at our company that we read together as a company. And, and we learned 
about bias and how that is often a much broader concept. Could you speak to your perspective on bias in the workplace? Yeah, absolutely, Michael. And I think the first place to start is the acknowledgement that if you're a human being on planet Earth, you have bias. It's 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 not a condemnation. It's a, it's a normal normal cognitive function of our brains. We we seek out patterns. Those that pattern seeking ability has helped us evolve and survive for countless numbers of years. And so so this hardwiring in our brains is very very normal. And there are things that we are consciously biased about. And I, a lot of times I like to make bring in a, 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 another word that's synonymous with bias, and that's preference. I, I prefer chicken over beef or vegetable lasagna over lobster, whatever. We, we have, all of us have conscious bias. And, and we're aware of them, and we know what we like, what we don't like, why we like what we don't like. The trick or the or the challenge becomes when we start talking about unconscious bias, when we still have those preferences and we don't even know that we have them, which sounds kind of strange, right? How would you know that you like or don't like something if you're not even aware of it? However, we have those as well, and all of us do. And I think the application when we're talking to an organization that's going through some kind of an education or training program, learning about bias is how does it show up? And it shows up everywhere. We spend most of our day running on autopilot, running on these biases, both conscious and unconscious, that allow us to get to the next thing we've got to do in our very, very busy days. And so helping individuals understand that, first of all, you got bias and it's okay. But that if unmanaged or on, that you aren't aware of it, it then can be curtailing your ability to do your job, hire the best talent, keep the best talent, and help build better leaders and better teams moving forward. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's a physiological fact of who we are as individuals. And it is an absolute component, I think, of, of any effective diversity, equity, and inclusion training program or strategy. I'm going to come back to that answer in a moment. I want to ask Glow a quick question, and then I want to bring it back and come back to your, your answer. So Glow, one of the things that you helped me personally with, I, I believe you helped a number of my colleagues, but me personally with was the topic of privilege. And uh, it's something we hear a lot about. We hear about white privilege and other types of privilege. And I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'd be reluctant to do that. And I'm sure you'll tell me if I'm, if I'm getting this wrong. But I believe you said something to the effect that white men, and I am a white male, I, I self-identify as a white male, may have privilege, but that we don't need to feel ashamed of that privilege. And rather, the key question is, what are we going to do with that privilege? It's a big topic and, and not without controversy. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I love that question. <laughs> so thank you. We have taken the word privilege, and I don't know how or why this happened, but we have made it so that it's only used in large part particularly when you're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, or diversity, inclusion, whatever you're saying. When you're talking about this topic, people usually associate privilege only with white privilege, which is, which is white male privilege. 
which is more than that. It is white, male, middle-aged, wealthy, uh, straight, and a certain kind of Christian privilege. That is what people think of when they're looking at privilege in, in the United States. And first of all, I ask people, what, what do people who have privilege have that other people don't? So I'm just going to ask you for a couple of things. Michael, what are a couple of things that people who are privileged have that people who do not have those privileges, what do they not have? What is it? Just give me a couple. I would say equal opportunities. Okay. One more. The ability to, to not be prejudged. Yes, yes. The freedom to make a mistake, people often say, because I ask leaders this, and there's a, the list is long. You don't have to worry about if you make a mistake. Your voice will be heard. Many of the things that Greg said when he first got into the, the diversity and inclusion through the United States Army, there was a question about and was his relationship to it and other people's relationship to it. So there is such a thing as white male privilege in the United States. Absolutely. So I never deny that. My question is, though, there's rebellion or resistance to that by white men, because many times white men have had to work for the privilege they have also. Was it the same way that somebody who's not white and not male, not those six things, had to work for it? No, it wasn't the same. But it seems as if it feels to them as if we're saying, you don't deserve that privilege, you didn't earn it. And so I had to start looking at that. You know what? You get privileged one of three ways most often. Either you earned it, straight up earned it, you had to work hard for it, or it was given to you, whether you earned it or not. And then sometimes you inherited it. You got it from somebody else and you didn't do anything except be related to them or know them. My question is, okay, first of all, however you got your privilege, are you using it for your highest good and for the highest good of others who don't have it. And that's where it is. Don't forget yourself. You're using that privilege to attain your goal, to understand how to be a better whatever, fill in the blank, is professionally and personally as a human being. Yes, it's a gift. So I'm going to use it. The question is, and where people get angry, is because you're not using it to help other people who don't have it, or you're trying to make sure they never Not only do they not have it, but they don't have access to those benefits of it. So that's always my challenge. And my next challenge is, what privileges have you had that you're not considering people who are not white and male and all this other kind of stuff, as well as white men? How are you using your privilege? And are you using it to help other people? What are the things that you had to overcome in your life? The things that you developed resilience about? the things that you're smart about, that's a result of your privilege. Maybe something traumatic happened, positively or negatively, but what you learned as you were going through or after that in order to be better, in order to grow financially, intellectually, spiritually, whatever it is that you have grown, that's privilege. How are you using that to help others who have not a clue how to do it? And that's that's the basic bottom line of how I teach privilege. I love it. I love it. As I said, it, it's been really helpful for me. And as I said, I want to come back to, to Greg's thoughts about bias. And it seems to me that part of the magic that the two of you bring is you've created a framework 
to allow people to speak candidly and, and without fear of acknowledging that, yes, it, yes, we all do have bias. And yes, we all do, or at least many of us do have some form of privilege. And can we all just talk about that? Can we just talk about it, spend more time focusing on that, have, have awareness around it in our interactions and, and, and maybe just all see each other as allies in this journey together. What do you think about what? I- yeah, absolutely. To, to be able to work together better, to be able to, to coexist better. Uh, I think that's, that's probably one of the main points of the work that we're doing and why we do it. We don't, and based on my experience, I, I didn't grow up having, having conversations, having conversations like this one right now in what we would call, what I would call mixed company, right? It wouldn't be, it would be with people who look like me and, and the best we knew how to do was disparage <laughs> the, the, the topic because we just weren't, we were pretty innocently ignorant or speaking for self, I was pretty innocently ignorant. So, so I think it's, it's going back to that, the ability to build that or create, co-create that psychologically safe container where we can start to have the conversations about our fears and our hopes and our, our questions and our misunderstandings and and begin to figure out that well we're all on this team together and we're all trying to accomplish a certain outcome or objective wouldn't it be better if we kind of understood each other a little bit better and and if we understood a little about each other better wouldn't we be able to then work together better and if we work together better wouldn't our outcomes increase or be easier, more easier to achieve? And, and so that's, I know that's a business model, but there's an argument for the business model. Oftentimes there's a, a head conversation and a heart conversation. So for the head conversation and both of these arguments, both of these conversations or components are important for the head conversation. It is important to understand numbers and measurement and where are we going? And why are we doing this? And how does this align with the overarching business objective of, of company X? That's an important conversation to have. So is the heart conversation. Goes back in a large part to Gloria's conversation or, or, or her answer on privilege, right? So I, in my life, in my experience as a white, older, straight male, my experience is pretty good. So I'm thinking that the world is pretty bright and shiny and good for me, but there may be people on my team and where their hearts are is it's not so bright and shiny for them. And so there is an emotional conversation as well. And I, I think both of those conversations need to be, need to come together to go into that, that container that we're referring to so we can work together better. Absolutely. Absolutely. If I can just piggyback on that for just a moment, Michael and Greg. Uh, recently, a leader asked me, he, he was stationed, headquartered in and is Italian. And he asked me, so this is a global issue, not just a U.S. issue. That's the point I want to make now. He said to me, why is it, Glow, many people of color, and I said, who are you talking about specifically? And he said, Black people, because we have to learn to call stuff out. We can't just say people. What, what is that? Come on. So he said, Black people. I said, thank you. I'm not afraid of being Black. Come on, let's say it. He said, why is it that so many Black people are saying they're tired of talking with white people about their experience? And so I said to him, you can learn about different cultures. 
and different people's experiences in so many ways. Nowadays, you can read a book, you can watch a documentary, there's TikTok, there's TED Talk, there's so many movies, there's so many things and nothing replaces building a relationship with somebody, getting that human connection, because then you understand the exceptions and nuances, et cetera. I said, I'm not trying to speak for all the Black people on the planet, not even all the Black women in the Chicago area. I'm not doing that. But what I will say is, it's not that we mind having the conversation. It's that we have the conversation and nothing changes. Mm-hmm. So how many times can you continue... Or it changes incrementally, one step forward and four or five back. And then are told you should be satisfied with that little step forward because we're in a better place than we were yesterday. Yes, we are. And how does it work for you? If you're hungry and starving and I give you one early June pea to eat, do I then have the right to tell you that you should be full and satisfied? because I addressed your hunger with one early June pee. That's how it feels many times. And we have to measure it in ways that people who are running the country and running companies who are mostly white men appreciate. So that's usually from the head, but also for, for, from the heart, as, as Greg is saying, for those people and others. So everybody needs to be heard. Everybody needs to be heard. Yeah. Wonderful. It's wonderful. You've, I've had conversations with both of you about, about the work that we can do toward greater diversity and inclusion or diversity, equity, inclusion, or justice, diversity, equity, uh, inclusion. I do like that. I like the whole Jedi thing, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. I actually read somewhere though, that that was a term that some people objected to because people felt that it kind of made light of it. And anything Star Wars is good for me. I am a big Star Wars fan, but I've, I've tried to steer clear of the whole Jedi acronym. In any event, we've talked about, about some of the cautions that we have to have as we, as we pursue this, uh, this journey in earnest and, and hopefully with the kind of curiosity and openness and awareness that the two of you are talking about And Greg, you once wrote, it's a little bit of a long quote, but I actually want to read the whole quote. Organizations are claiming that they are going to incorporate diversity and inclusion into their business strategies and that their new diversity and inclusion efforts will be tied to the overarching organizational goals and objectives. In many cases, the CEOs of these same organizations are claiming that they will personally lead these efforts and will provide the necessary and adequate resources required to make these contemporary endeavors resounding successes. But without introspection, without a thorough personal inventory on the part of these leaders of how they feel about self and other people, I fear many diversity and inclusion initiatives will fall by the wayside. As a leader myself, I have personally experienced such a process. I can attest to the moments of realization of self and others in the awaiting the awakening that such programs can provide through dedicated and serious introspection. Again, it begins with self. So will you elaborate on those thoughts? Absolutely. And, and you're, you're right. You're, you're, it was an excerpt out of, out of an article I wrote a number of years ago. And it, it was a re, the, the 
the genesis of the article was the reflection of of my my awakening or my 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 understanding of of the value of diversity and inclusion as i was going through my training at the defense equal opportunity management institute which is an organization that is based at patrick air force base florida and and many people don't know is the united states military has been training people on these topics since 1971 so this is not a new endeavor for those for the for the Department of Defense and, and the branches, and and it was it was, I was it was becoming clear to me that if I'm going to be good at doing this job, I I have to learn about myself first, because if I don't understand at least a little bit more of who I am, and what motivates me and 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 how how does this impact me and what can I do with my privilege going back to Glow's comment, when I go away from this, this learning institution and go back into the military, if I don't understand myself very well, I don't know how effective I'm going to be doing this job. And, and I always prided myself in, like my mom and dad said growing up, if you're going to go do something, go do it right. Do a good job. Have integrity. And, and I, I wanted to have integrity in, in doing this work. And so that, for me, was... was that, that process was hard about, about learning about self. And, and I know all of our experiences in that regard are going to be very personal, right? So what I learned is not what you learned or Glow learned or, or anybody learned uh, about themselves. But I think it's a necessary step to, to take when you are in a position of power and influence or leadership and say, we're going to go do this work. That's great. Why are you doing it? What, what is it about you that makes you want to do this work? I get it all yeah. day. We've got numbers and measurements and, and objectives, and we got to satisfy our clients or our customers absolutely all day long. That is the purpose of our organization, period. Why are you doing this work? What is it? What does that mean to you as an individual? And I had to answer that question for myself. And I invite every leader when they say they're going to do this. One of my first questions is, why? Why are you doing it? And it's not to attack them or condemn them or, 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 or belittle them. It's, it's a really important question because if you haven't figured out why you're doing this work, because it's not the easiest thing to do, I don't know how much stamina and endurance that leader is going to be able to extend toward that effort. So yeah. it's, it's a necessary step. Yeah, I, I certainly had those conversations with with uh, with the two of you. And okay, let's get going. We want we want to get going. Let's let's start taking action. And and I had those conversations with you. And 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 certainly in retrospect, I see the wisdom in in that approach. I think you're absolutely right. So, Glow, you mentioned Rodney King in one of your answers, and and yet we see we see. We've seen a number of, of tragedies over the years. Last year was an extraordinary year where we saw uh, a number of, of, of tragedies that led to it, it, hopefully a longer term sense of greater awareness, but certainly at least a temporary sense of much greater awareness. And George Floyd was probably the most extreme example, but there were many, and I don't want to overlook all the others as well. So I'd like to ask you each a question. I want to hear an answer from, from each of you. So thinking back on the events of last year, but also the last few decades, are we making progress in, in, in is it enough progress? Are we, are we now on a, on a different track? 
How do you feel about the progress that we're making as a country? Well, it depends on the day what my answer is going to be. And my answer as someone who has not all, who has been punished with other people's privilege sometimes, who has been punished with other people's privilege. Not sure I understand that, Glow. Where people use their privilege to keep me from getting ahead, or all people who have been, anyone who has been marginalized. Anyone they feel could threaten them, anyone they've heard does threaten them, any kind of way. That, and so there's fear there, which I understand. The fear of losing something that they have or that someone important to them is going to lose. I understand. I understand where it's coming from. And reasons are not excuses. Reasons are reasons. They're based on your history. So you have to respect them. I think for too long, we have used our barriers to make other barriers. And one of the ways we do that is by denying that there ever was a barrier. I believe in looking honestly at those barriers and using each brick in it to form a bridge because it doesn't help to deny the real history, the real life. It's amazing to me that people are upset about critical race theory. Is this history that we've not been allowed to talk about because it suited someone else's privilege? That's why. So I think we are, I'm encouraged of late, not because of all of the deaths that are not extraordinary to me, because it's just another day. Somebody asked me, how do you feel about Mr. George Floyd being publicly executed? I said, it's another day of being Black in America. It might be new for you. It's not new to me. It's not new to me. That happens when it's not in the news. And we know about it in my community and not all Black communities. Mm -hmm. What is different now, though, is that we have technology where people can see it in a moment. Mm -hmm. And even though some people deny what they see and witness, the majority of us don't have that disconnect between reality and our brain and our eyes or our ears. And so more and more people are saying, "This, this this shouldn't happen. And so the number of people that are working, what I'd like to see is, because the work on the street changes nothing. The work on the street changes nothing. It is the people in power with privilege that have to vote it in and actually change it. I think we're beginning to know that and hold people accountable, but we haven't gotten to the point where we say, And you're going to be kicked out of office if you don't do it. We haven't gotten to that point yet. And so I'm hopeful, but I honestly don't think it's going to change uh, on a sustainable level in our nation, in my lifetime, the lifetime of my children, nor my grandchildren. I don't believe it. So where Mm -hmm. can we start then? We can start with you and me. And that is where... I will ask people, what can I, you, we do? So that when we are working together, even though the outside noise, what you may experience between work and home, what you may experience in your your, uh, community may be the most horrific demonstration of discrimination. What can I, you, we do so that we do not have to worry about it? We can be confident in our safety and then let that expand more quickly than the coronavirus. Wow. 
Greg, can you top that answer? It's it's a it's a really good question. It's very important. And and to Glow's point, it's going to depend on who you ask. And and I know you're asking us. So as I'm listening to Glow, I'm thinking back to August of 1963, and when Martin Luther King gave his "I Dream," I have a dream speech. It was estimated then that the that the the audience was 75% black, 25% white. And and I'm thinking about in the streets, the after after the, the murder of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter just just ballooned globally. And and it was amazing to me the amount of not just black people in the streets, everybody, uh, I mean a lot Asian and and Hispanic and and Latinx and and white in in huge percentages were were upset by what they perceived as this ongoing injustice. And so I suppose we could have a conversation on on which metrics and how do we measure this. I just use that as one way to measure what I've seen based on my understanding and my study historically of, of this topic. That's one. Another one is this. And so I think I think my, my short answer is I think we're making progress are we there? No. And we, and we need to continue working to get there. Another way I think that you can measure or at least take a step back to see a change that, that I, I think we would call going forward is in the way in which the last census revealed how we are shifting demographically. As Glow had mentioned on her birth certificate for race was the letter N for Negro. And We've conducted census, the census in the United States in 1790 every 10 years since. Every Nations do this. It's a way to manage the human resources of their citizenry. And every 10 years, we have changed designations of what we call people. We don't say Negro anymore. We don't say free Black anymore. We don't say quadroon or octoroon. And those at one time were designations of an individual of the U.S. Census. It's either one-eighth or, or one-quarter Black. So these things change. When we come up to the 2020 Census that was just publicly released in August of this past year, one, a lot of amazing statistics. One of them that I thought, I think, goes to the answering this question was, and the races that we identify and, and classify now, white, Hispanic, African-American, Asian, Native American, every one of those, they're a big significant piece of that is now two races in white, black, Latinx, so on and so on and so forth. So, so we are growing in terms of how, who we seek out as a mate, who we get married to, who we procreate and make children with. And so I, I think we are growing in a direction where we are becoming not so category, you know, a category of just just white or just black or just just Asian or whatever the case may be. It's changing across all of those categories, and and I think as I remember in one one particular training, somebody had said that a, a interracial, a biracial grandchild can do more to change grandma and grandpa's view on racism and race than all the training in the world. And, and, and their point was being that when the grandbaby shows up, it's, it's not so important if, if dad was black and mom was white. I now have this grandchild and I love this baby so much. And, and, I, and I think that is a change and that is increasing as we, as we go forward as a society demographically. Do we have a lot of work to do? Like Lo said, oh, absolutely. Yes, we do. Yeah, but it's starting here. This podcast is a great example of doing the work right now.
Yeah. Well, thank you for those answers. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't purport to try to summarize them in just a couple of sentences because I think I would be doing a disservice to both of you. And you both gave complex answers. And I suspect that's because the answer is complex. But I, I'd like to maybe reframe the question in, in another way and just ask you both, are you feeling? It depends on the day. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. So yes, I am hopeful when, but it, but it only takes, because when you've been traumatized by something, it only takes a small triggering to go right back into remembering emotionally, psychologically, mentally, physically, those things. And to look at the strategic plans that have been put in place for centuries to not only create and promote, but to sustain the divide between human beings. And so I look at everything. I look at those things that are ongoing, those things that are new, and look at that with the renewed and new intention of many to close it, to eliminate it. Those things exist. They coexist. And so I am, am I hopeful? It depends on the day. Thank you for the honesty. Yes. I, I'm hopeful. And, but then I'm also realistic in the sense that it isn't going to happen overnight. There's change happens and it has happened. There's, there's absolute well-defined milestones. In 1948, President Truman integrated the armed forces. That didn't happen overnight, even though the commander in chief, the president of the United States said, I want this to happen. The last branch to actually execute that order was the Marine Corps, which they didn't integrate until the early 1960s. So so just using that as one example of, of, yes, change is coming and it's happening, but I think there's got to be some realism as to the speed at which it's going to occur. And that's easy for me to say because I have not had GLOW's experience. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm looking through my lenses and what I have seen. And, and so I, I acknowledge that it's, it's easy for me to say that because I have not had to live outside of a, of a white male privilege. But yeah, if, I'm hopeful. If you could, if you, again, I'd like to direct this question at, at each of you because I'd like to hear each of your answers. If you could, if you could deliver one message to all the CEOs and all the leaders in our country, is there a message that you would want to deliver? Is, is that a fair question? There is a message. I, th- I think that what I would want to tell and what I do tell leaders when we're having work or working with them is this is, this is not the, the soup of the day. This, these skills of learning the value of diversity, learning how to, to build inclusive teams with different people on them is not only a, a business imperative it's, it's also a way to personally grow. These are skills. These are absolute leadership skills. And I think the leader that, and I was one of these leaders, the leader that is resistant to at least being open and learning, at least hearing the argument, is not doing themselves nor their teams any good. You may not like it because you don't understand it, but there's some skill sets here that really will help you. 
uh, be a, a more effective leader. We have a changing society and we have diverse marketplaces with many different customers and clients. And the better we can understand ourselves and understand them, I think we will do a better job, both personally and professionally, in, in how we, we live our lives. Good. That's good. That's delicious. I like that. My answer would be, we are all better when we're better together. We're all better when we're better together. If you look at and track times, organizations and uh, communities and cultures that were living, not just saying the words, but it was a show and tell moment. They weren't just putting band-aids on gangrene, where they were really working for the inclusion of everyone, when they were looking at the highest good for everyone, then those those neighborhoods, those communities, those organizations, as Greg said, they had better ideas. They reached more people. And so they made more money. And you have to speak that in those terms because some leaders, as Greg said, they don't care anything about the heart or the impact on human beings. They look at the bottom line only. So when people say it's the right thing to do, I'm like, what does that mean for you? Because whatever they say is not going to be wrong. So it's, it's, you, we're going to make more money. Yes, you will. We're going to have a better brand, for real, not a brand statement that you hired somebody like us to help you write. But what people are actually saying about you in the neighborhood, and yes, you will have that. We'll have better recognition. Yes, you will have that. We'll have fewer negative turnovers, people leaving the organization and suing you or taking things some in some kind of way to just not help you. They don't have to do anything actively to hurt you. They just have to do things to not help you. So the person who's coming in to take that job that I'm vacating, am I making, am I setting that up so that person can be successful without a hiccup in my success? It's those from small to great things. When you look at when that's happened, you would know that knowing and living diversity and inclusion is the smartest thing to do for the bottom line and all those other things that I mentioned. So you know what? You may never love me. You may never love me. You may always have problems with Black women who are chubby and have silver hair. Whatever that is, but boo-boo, do you realize that when I feel safe you and you feel safe with me and we feel safe together, the freedom that we have to be better at our work, the execution of it, all of that impacts both of us in a positive way. That's what I want to let people... For all the leaders in our audience, I hope that you'll rewind and listen to those two answers over again. And uh, and maybe that'll be the core message that we can take away from this podcast. So I'd like to now move into our extraordinary teaching segment where I'll ask you some some questions. and, And this is an answer for you to give, hopefully, relatively quick answers And these are questions that I like to ask to all of our guests fairly consistently, because I like to see how extraordinary people answer questions, the same question, always in a different way. Mm -hmm. So the first question that I'm going to ask is, and I'll start with you, Greg, Mm -hmm. what's the best advice you've ever given or received? Your choice. I'm going to have to go with received, and it's going to go all the way down to when I was knee-high to my mom and dad, and it was, as I mentioned earlier, be a person of your word. 
do the if you, if you sign up to do the work, do the work and then do the work as well as you can. Don't quit and be a be a good human being in the process. That's that's the foundational cornerstone for me. Glow? It's advice I've given, particularly since I was hospitalized this year. This work that we're doing is very hard. It's very weighty. We have our personal and our professional and our cultural and our just name it. Every different uh, touch point that we have with other people is weighty. Take care of yourself. Take some time off. I don't work on Fridays usually. And so identify how you're going to take care of yourself physically, intellectually, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, spiritually. Identify it because you have to take care of yourself in each of those areas. I call it Maslow on steroids. So how are you being kind and loving and appreciative to yourself so you can do the work with other people? What have been your biggest mistakes or learning opportunities if you feel uh, that it's more appropriate to think about mistakes as just learning opportunities? I, I think it is the realization that my reluctance to do a certain task or accept a certain assignment was such a good thing for me. And I'll I'll have to go back to my just getting into this work. I did not want to do it. I resisted. I obviously went into it and it it has so transformed my life personally and professionally. I, I think it's be open. Mm-hmm. Look at where your judgments are coming from and then make friends with them. It is part of you. It's based on your life. Be respectful of them. And then what is it that you need to do to use that energy, to use that energy and invest it in living diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah. Yeah. Both of your answers really, really work with me. Do you have any regrets Glow, you want to go first on this one? Do I have any regrets? Wow, what an interesting question. I, I, I have an appreciation. So it's not, it's not exactly a regret. I'm sorry for how long it took me to realize that my normal was not other people's normal. My normal of respecting and loving everybody is not everybody's. They weren't born into that. They weren't taught that. They don't believe it. They've experienced too much trauma or whatever because of it. There are reasons. There are reasons. And I had, and reasons are not excuses. So I had a lot of judgment for people who weren't living this. What I learned was that I wasn't living it while I was holding judgment against those people. So while I was complaining, they're not doing what they need to do. And neither was I, Miss Thing. So that's, that's, I find that so fascinating, but it gives me credibility with other people who are going through the same ugly stuff that I was internally. So it's not a regret. It's a, it's an, it's an observation. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I learned it when I did and I continue to learn it so often. Great. Thank you, Glow. I like, I like the word Glow glow used appreciation, right? I I, I think I'm going to answer it in a similar fashion. I, I don't know if, if I could regret anything because those things that failed for me, whether I, whether I was the one pulling the trigger on the failure or I just, I just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, I, I have learned from them. Yes. I, I think success, success hides a lot, of, a lot of broken stuff that we don't uncover or understand until something fails. 
And I can either look at that as a regret or I can take a step back and say, whoa, okay, hmm. learning event here. So yeah, I, I would say it's appreciation, not regret. Yeah. There must be something about what happens when I interview two people at the same time, because the last time I interviewed two people, when I interviewed Bonnie Blair and, and uh, Dan Jansen, I asked them about, I, it, it wasn't mistakes or learning opportunities. I asked them about their mistakes and they both rose up and said, wrong question. <laughs> Every mistake's a learning opportunity. You should be asking about learning opportunities. And I've changed the question ever since then. And I think I'm going to have to change my regret question to one around appreciation, which works really well within my own value system. So thank you both for that. I appreciate that. For each of you, name a key role model or mentor, if you'd prefer. Chloe, you want to go first? Wow. Aside from my grandmother, which no one knew other than outside my family. Grandmothers are good. Are, that's a good answer too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'm, 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 thank you. I'm going to stick with that. And let me just say that some people will resonate more with regret than they will opportunity. As long as you can start the conversation, it's cool. So stick with regret if you want to. <laughs> thank you. My grandmother, and here's why. Uh, and, and thank you. Thank you very much. Because I still say at this point in my life, when I'm doing something major, I will say, mama, are you proud of me? So she is still my mentor. She is still my, my touchstone, if you will, for living in, as a human being optimally, for living as a human being optimally. Whatever I have been through in my life, she went through so much more trauma than I did. And still, she taught her children and she and, and her husband, my grandfather, taught their children and their grandchildren, and even my children, the great-grandchildren, about love and respect and dignity and the fact that you cannot, no one takes your dignity. They try to, but that is something you lay down or continue to have. And so it was the high, while, while, let me say this and then I'm done, while acknowledging that sometimes your human experience and your human heart is that's enough of that stuff right now. I'm not able to touch on those highest things about myself that really is me. And sometimes you betray yourself. And so what do you do then to love yourself through that betrayal of yourself and your dignity? So that is, that is really one of the messages that I want to come through no matter what I'm doing, no matter who I'm working with. It's self-love, appreciation, and respect. Because if you don't love, appreciate, and respect yourself, you're not going to be able to do it long with other and for other people. That's, that's my role model. Thank you. Greg? Thank you. You know, oh, wow. So many. <laughs> I'll highlight two of them, though. One is my Aunt Beverly. And even when I was, some of my earliest memories as a, as a, child she would always when i would when i would be at her home and i would want her attention she would crouch all the way down to get at at my eye level i felt so seen and and she welcomed respected valued heard me I, it was and i just felt so good with her and and she was really and she did that with everybody and and so she served as a as a really great role model and she had a pretty rough life too, like, like to Glow's point. So her, the other one, and this person does not know I'm going to say this right now, but it's Miss Gloria Cotton. And, and very quickly for, for your listeners, when I exited the military in 2012 and I had started consulting, 
I did not realize the height of the cliff I had jumped off of. And, and I was, I was kind of questioning myself, can I even do this work? And thankfully uh, I was paired up, met Gloria, and then we started our co-facilitation, our Fred and Ginger time. And, and Glow, I really leaned on you and you mentored me and you talked me through the tough days when I was, when I was going through the transition. And so I, I just want to acknowledge for, for everyone on, listening on the call, uh, the impact that you had, because we might not be having this conversation right now if I had not met uh, Glow. Well played, Greg. That, well, well played. I, I, I once went to, to, to see President Bill Clinton and uh, Secretary Madeleine Albright speak. And it was a really, it was an amazing discussion. It was moderated. And the question that was presented to both of them was to name your favorite, your favorite leader around the world. And Bill Clinton named his. And uh, Madeleine Albright did not miss, miss a beat. And she said, him, Bill Clinton. So well played. Uh, great answers. Thank you both. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. There's a hug in your future, young man, if you want. Oh, you know, you know, I want it. <laughs> I got it for you. <laughs> Thank you. Do you, for, for each of you, what's your personal mission? Glow? So for business, my business relationships, I say I help, and you, and you mentioned it, I help create environments where people can be and do their best. My personal overarching mission um, and purpose for being on the planet is that I help people fall in love with themselves for the first time or again. Great answer. You have clearly thought about this in the past, which, is, which is much appreciated. I've, I've learned that extraordinary people very frequently, not always, but very frequently have a clear personal mission. So thank you for yes, that. Sir. Greg? The short bumper sticker is help build better leaders. And, and the, the tagline below that would be, Building better leaders means building more inclusive leaders. If if your organization can do one thing with your diversity, equity, and inclusion effort, it's the creation of inclusive leaders. They prevent a lot of problems from happening, and they can fix a lot of broken stuff. So helping create better leaders. I certainly hope that I'll be one of your success stories, as well as my, my, my fellow leaders at my company. Last question, and Greg, we'll start with you for this one. What do you hope your legacy will be one? That those people who may remember who I was will think back and say, he, he did good work. He was a kind, loving soul, and, and he tried not to do any harm and left the place a little, a little bit better than, than when he came. Well, I mean, that was pretty scrumptious, wasn't that it? That was like, pretty good, yeah. I, I want to luxuriate <laughs> in that for a minute. Uh, what do I hope my legacy will be? Mm-hmm. I, I hope that people will say she lived fully and her highest good as a human being and showed me how. Great answers. I'm, I, it's a very good answer. <laughs> so inspirational. Thank you. So with that, it's the, the conclusion of, of, our, uh, of our time together. So I want to thank you both so much for appearing on our show. And uh, any parting words from either of you? I'd like to say thank you. Michael, you are so well on your way mm-hmm. to being that leader that that Greg talked about. Yep. And my sense of it, sir, is that it's not just intellectual, but mm-hmm. that it's also your whole being, that you get it. And I encourage you to please take care of yourself because it's weighty, as I said. 
I encourage you to cut yourself some slack. Be kind to yourself as you are doing this. And thank you so much for the opportunity to work with you and the Colony Group. Thank you so much. And to have an opportunity to work with this man right here, Fred, because I'm I'm down with that. I got my heels on. <laughs> thank you, Glow. Thank you. So, so my, first of all, Michael, thank you so much for, for inviting us, not only to this podcast, this has been such a treat, and, and it's been a fantastic conversation, but, but all of the work we've done, which now spans, we can say years now, mm-hmm. uh, that we've done. And I'm going to echo what Glow just said. We get, we get to see a lot of leaders, Michael, and, and, and you're, you're walking the talk, and that's a rare, that's a, that's a very high compliment. And the work is ongoing. And uh, as the Navy says, I was in the Army, although I am a son of a sailor. But so is the captain, so goes the ship. And, uh, and you, are, you are the captain of your ship. And, and I think you've charted it and uh, inviting these very fine people on a journey in a really good direction. Good on you. You're doing well. Thank you. Keep, keep going. And, and give yourself a little break every once in a while, too. At our company, one of our commitments is that we, we like to say that we live in a world of appreciation. And you both just said some very kind words. Uh, to me. And so I want to, rather than say, oh, no, no, it's, uh, you're, you're, you're too much. I'd rather just say thank you. And I appreciate you both. And I appreciate your, your message and your words and all the work that you do. And they are the extraordinary Gloria Cotton and Greg Jenkins. Join me in following them on Twitter at Gloria underscore Cotton and Greg B. Jenkins. They are also on LinkedIn And you can learn more about what they do at gregjenkinsconsulting.com. And thank you to our sponsor, The Colony Group. The Colony Group is a national wealth and business management company with offices across the country that itself seeks the extraordinary as it pursues its unrelenting mission of providing clients with peace of mind and empowering their visions of tomorrow. To learn more about The Colony Group and how it manages beyond money, visit www.thecolonygroup.com. You can also follow the Colony Group on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Colony Group. For Seeking the Extraordinary, I'm Michael Nathanson. Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Nathanson underscore MJ and learn more about my ongoing search for the extraordinary.